you are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. In Hebrews, we're studying that all things are better and greater in Christ. And as we move along to uh, show as we have our outline, uh, we've got uh, arguments and exhortations. We've had three and the introduction to the fourth argument so far there on the left side, the the fact that Christ is greater than the angels, his comparison uh, to humanity as the chief of men. Then we find he was greater and greater than Moses. And we began to talk about, as the Hebrew writer did, the greater priesthood of Christ. Along the way, we've had some exhortations. Uh, don't, uh, don't neglect the great salvation. Make sure you believe the word of God, uniting it in your heart with faith. And now we start our third section of exhortation, after having begun to talk about the great priesthood uh, that is in Christ and his great work there, in the uh, uh, fourth and fifth chapter, uh, the Hebrew writer said that having been made perfect, he became to all who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It's at that point, having said those magic words, the order of Melchizedek, that the the Hebrew writer uh, pauses now uh, for yet another exhortation, telling us that we really need to uh, study, to read, to meditate, to understand the Word of God so we can appreciate what's coming next. And we're going to get back to that priesthood uh, and have a whole lot more words about it in chapter 7. So we're going to get back to the argument about the priesthood, the argument laid forth, the superiority of Christ in his priesthood, and how it is after this order of Melchizedek. But, as many people, even after the Hebrew writer would write these things and uh, plant Melchizedek so firmly forced in the New Testament, many today would still, as soon as you say Melchizedek, say, Melchizedek and Melchizedek Well, it's Melchizedek. And so this is where we now have a launch into an exhortation on the danger of immaturity, a danger of a lack of knowledge, a danger of not understanding. So verse 5 goes on, or excuse me, chapter 5 goes on, and now verse 11, where we begin tonight's study. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. And so 
here we have this exhortation on the dangers of immaturity. It's an unnatural immaturity because it's being immature so long in life, uh, after so long a time, uh, remaining in, in maturity when you should have been on to maturity. Uh, there's no uh, shame in uh, the childishness of children. What would we expect children to be? But childishness in an adolescent is a little unseemly. Childishness in a young man or young woman is far worse. And childishness among the full-grown is just tragic. And at some point, it stops being funny. At some point, it stops being sympathetic. And at some point, it just becomes, well, just it's loathsome. It's just terrible. And so these folks need to be mature. And we're going to take this in two parts. The need for maturity and the need to be sound in the basics. Now, there's a couple of places in the New Testament. It seems like Hebrews has the most of them where our chapter divisions don't do us any particular favors. We're right in the middle of the same thought as we go from the end of chapter 5 to the beginning of chapter 1, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. You know, we go to chapter 6. Chapter 6 starts with the words, therefore. There are several chapters in the New Testament that start with the word, therefore. Almost never should there have been a chapter division placed there because it is the conclusion or continuation based on things said before. And so we're going to take these uh, seven, eight verses here, though they span two chapters, as one theme and one topic, which they are. Now, again, we divide that into two parts. The need to be mature, and in order to do that, being sound in the basics. So verse 11, we have much to say about him, but it's hard to explain. Yeah, you, you need to know who Melchizedek was. You need to know how the text describes Melchizedek. Uh, you need to get uh, familiar with some things back in the early chapters of Genesis in regard to uh, early on in the life of Abraham. And we're going to get to all that in chapter 7 when the author gets back to it. But if you just think about the difficulty of explaining uh, you know, the, some of Christ's great variety of roles. We normally divide the work of Christ into three great roles. It's not just that there were three, but we talk about him as prophet, as priest, and as king. I think the easiest one to do of those three would probably be Jesus is the king. He has all authority on heaven and earth. His kingship, his lordship is a pretty straightforward concept. Now, it's pretty hard to put into practice thoroughly and completely, making him fully the lord of our life and that he guides our the decision-making and our thinking. And he guides our, each step of our way. That might be hard to implement, but it's not hard to understand. Well, it's a little harder to think about Christ as the great prophet, but being God's foremost spokesman to men, it's pretty—it's not that hard a concept, and it may not be much more difficult than, than Christ as king. Uh, and so we, people say, well, what do you mean by Christ as prophet? Well, we mean he revealed the will of God to us more thoroughly, more completely than anybody else ever has or ever will. We don't need a Mohammed to be the prophet of God. We've got Jesus, the greatest of them all. Uh, we don't need Moses to guide us. Uh, Moses leads us to Christ. And so we have Christ as prophet. Excuse me, Christ as priest uh, as, and prophet. Uh, so we have Christ as king, Christ as prophet. Now, uh, explain about Christ being our priest. Well, having the priesthood of all believers, which I do think is a New Testament concept, and we're all priests of God. But as someone once said, if everybody's a thing, then nobody's a thing. And so there's a little bit of a sense of which nobody's a priest. 
And if anybody was to say, well, we need a priest and uh, wanted to substitute in some kind of Catholic type authority, somebody we'd go in the closet to confess to, uh, some man in a robe who would guard our lives, some man who had no wife would tell us how to deal with our wife and our children. We'd go, hold on, buddy. We don't need a priest like that. Well, we don't need no priest like that for sure, but we need a priest. And in the book of Hebrews, we're going to have in 7, 8, and 9, a whole lot of Christ's priestly work, including, the well, even chapter 10, where he's the sacrifice, but he's the one who offered his own sacrifice and took his own blood as a priest. Well, of those, uh, certainly, uh, being the priest is and would be still the hardest one to explain. Now, don't think because we talk about the three great roles that there's only three roles. Now, I kind of wish with the three great roles, uh, we might, you know, have shepherd or husband uh, in there as well. Uh, we might also, uh, you know, have him as apostle, as bishop, as the second Adam. Uh, but at some point, you're no longer in a summary. You know, when you have a seven-point summary, you don't have a summary at all. And so we have the three great roles, but a prophet is certainly one of those and often, often the hardest of them to understand, especially in this case where he says, you guys have become dull of hearing. You're not listening. You're not listening. Now, they've grown that way over some years of neglect. Uh, they've grown that way uh, over some uh, being sluggish. Uh, I think the King James may even use that word, sluggish. Uh, be, being dull or being uh, being indolent, not being attentive. Now, the extreme case of not hearing is things like the rebellious Jews, uh, which the prophet Isaiah was quoted against on both by Jesus and by the apostle Paul. Uh, I read now from Acts 28, where Paul does it, but Matthew 15, Jesus does it, where after it says the apostle had spoken these words, there's many who would not believe. And when they didn't agree with each other, they began leaving after Paul spoke to them one parting word. And what a parting word it was from Isaiah the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet of your to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, They keep on hearing, but they won't understand. They keep on seeing, but they won't perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, that I should heal them. Well, here are these rebellious folks who are making it a point not to see, making a point not to understand, making a point not to hear what is said. Well, here the Hebrew writer says, you guys are getting in the same boat, but not by willful refusal to listen, but just by a practice of not really paying attention over a long period of time. And so it doesn't seem to be a deliberate effort, a deliberate effort to not see, not hear, not understand, but a regression and a, a neglect, a lack of growth. This getting to the same point, it's ending up in the same place. And so that's a terrible thing. When sluggishness has so set in that it gets you to the place that rebellion does. And so, no, they're not on the fast track of rebellion and refusal, uh, but they're on the slow track of drifting away. And so the Hebrew writer says, y'all guys need to, to straighten back up. You need to see where you're at. You need to know where you should be. For though by the time you ought to be teachers, verse 12, you have someone to need of someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come 
need milk and not solid food. So you've gone back. Uh, you, you need to go to elementary school again. You, you, need, you need to be bottle fed again. You, you need to have a spoon fed for you and somebody else uh, cut it up for you. And, you know, uh, uh, these days we, we uh, well, we mostly buy uh, pre, pre-ground baby food. Uh, but I remember uh, back in the 70s, back in the wild days, you know, people did a lot of it. The, they ground up their own baby food. And my mom for my little sister had these, these little uh, grinder tools where she would put in the food and grind it up. And, and I remember feed, she'd feed it to my sister. And my other sister would want to do the feeding, but uh, mom didn't approve that so much because uh, a lot of food got uh, distributed, but not too much in, in my little sister's mouth. But then I remember we moved overseas and people didn't have, especially in the former Soviet Union right after it fell apart, they didn't have the money to buy these high dollar things from Gerber and the like. And they didn't have the fancy little tools uh, to, uh, to grind up the baby food. And so we watched many a mother who would begin to chew the food, chew it a bit, and then put it back on a spoon and give it to the baby. And, you know, as an American and all our fastidiousness about, about cleanliness, that didn't sit, sit with us too well. But, uh, you know, I bet in the history of the world, that's how most babies got a whole lot of their food. And so uh, here it is that basically the apostle is saying, when it comes to y'all guys' spiritual nourishment, y'all need milk and pre-chewed food. Y'all need somebody to make it so simple for you and, 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 and just give this to you so you can get sustained enough that you can get back up to elementary school. You need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And so uh, there's a statement attributed to Cromwell long, long ago. He said, he who ceases to be better ceases to be good. These people were not progressing. Uh, these people were not improving. These people were not growing in Christ. And they should have been teachers, but they needed the elementary things retaught to them because they just simply had let it all slide away. And of neglect, they had lost it. Now, Time you ought to be teachers. I don't know that every uh, uh, person who's in the church, everyone in Christ, needs to be a you know a public teacher. Uh, we know that it's one of the qualifications of those who would lead us uh, as an elder. They must be apt to teach. I don't know that every man needs to be apt to teach. That's not ability or talent that I think has been universally distributed. But the knowledge enough, not maybe to teach a class, but to teach just a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. I think that certainly uh, is a necessity. Uh, we think about all the people who make a terrible driver's ed instructor, but they could tell somebody how you drive a car. Well, how do they know how to drive a car? Well, they've been doing it for 30 years, right? And so there might be some things they get out of order. Or there might be uh, some things not eloquently said. But don't we think that everybody who's driven a car for 30 years could give some basic pointers to somebody in the way to drive a car. Well, what of a Christian for decades? Uh, again, not that they're apt to teach, that they have some ability or aptitude for public instruction. I don't know they could hold the attention of a class. Maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. But wouldn't shouldn't everybody uh, be able to give the basics, to tell the, the substance of the thing? And we wouldn't grade them as if they were trying to uh, make a public presentation. Uh, we just understand, are they getting the point across? Well, these folks sure sh sure should know 
how to get the point across. But, uh, as it will say about them in chapter 12, there's some of them whose hands are weak and knees are feeble that need to have their the path of their feet straightened. They're weak and they're stumbling, and some of the joints are about to be out of place. And what's going to get them back to their strength and their weakness and, and feebleness? Well, they're going to need some milk and not solid food. So, all right, let's... If you're to that state, well, let's get you. Let's get you the milk again. But let's get you on a regimen where we can see some improvement. And so if we need to go back and give somebody some milk, and we need this kind of remedial and elementary instruction, all right, let's give them that. But let's give them that with the purpose of having them, uh, you know, in the short term, getting back up to strength and getting back up to speed. Uh, Like the person who's been ill with some kind of sickness for a while. They can't have all the foods they had before, things that, uh, uh, you know, might be hard on the digestive tract, things that are heavily spiced, things that, uh, you know, are, are, are super rich, uh, but they can have the basics for a time till they get their strength back. So we're going to have a get your strength back program, uh, the uh, writer here says. He says, y'all need this because everyone who partakes only of milk. So, again... Only of milk. If, if milk's all you can handle, well, we'll give you that till you can handle something else. But what if you just stay there? What if you just stay on the milk? Well, it's because you're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You're a babe or an infant. Solid food is for the mature. And so we're going to get you back up by exercise. The King James says, uh, uh, King James say exercise. My translation says practice. We're going to get you back by practice to know good and evil, to discern what's right and wrong. And so uh, these, these questions that are troubling some of the brethren, things of Judaism uh, that uh, they're sliding back to, well, they need to be taught up again. They need to be strengthened up again. They need to be encouraged. And so uh, we need growth in the things of the Spirit just as we need growth in the things of the body. And we need some maintenance. Uh, we might have some kind of regimen of exercise. We might have some kind of regular activity that keeps us going. And what happens when somebody gets laid up or, or chooses to give all that up and uh, then they, they can't exercise, they can't do? Well, we know they atrophy and they have the, the, the hard work of rehabilitation. These folks need to go to the spiritual rehab unit and get themselves straightened back up. So again, growth is of all uh, importance. We think about what it said about Jesus in Luke 1.80, the child continued to grow. In Luke 2.40, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom and grace. The grace of God was upon him. And in Luke 2.52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And so there was a spiritual aspect of that. There was a physical aspect of that. There was a social aspect of that. And we in Christ need to grow in all respects in this. Again, we start as babes, First uh, Peter 2, like newborn babes long for the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. What did the early church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or teaching. They were continually, Acts 2.46, in one mind in the temple. And this is our responsibility, to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, Peter would say. Or Acts 20.32 Paul said, I commend you to God and the word, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. 
So the word of God, uh, the word of his grace. Go there. Now, when we get there, what's our elementary things? What do they need to bone up on and then get back on the track? Well, we go now to being sound in the basics. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary things. Let's just move on to things uh, that are uh, more serious, right? We should know arithmetic. Once we know arithmetic, they teach us some algebra. Once we learn some algebra, they teach us some calculus. Well, let's, let's move on. And we, we got to get these in order. We need the foundation before we get to the roof. And let's get these folks strengthened back up in the elementary things. So we have our foundation. And on that, we can build the rest of the structure. And he gives us six. Six things is a foundation. He says, pressing on to maturity, not laying again the, uh, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washing, uh, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so here's the six things the Hebrew writer says. For my audience, you guys need these things as the foundation. Repentance, faith, and washing. Laying on of hands, the resurrection, and the judgment. Now, I think maybe the one that will surprise us, and we'll mention it in a little bit, in a bit more discussion, might be laying on of hands. Laying on of hands is one. I think a lot of folks today go, well, okay, why would you do that? Isn't that something they used to do and we don't do no more? Well, to some degree, yes. And I do think that was that one of these was a little bit more temporal, not quite as much of an eternal principle, uh, but we will see, especially in the early days, uh, how important it was and how, to some degree, as I say, temporal, that we now have other concerns. But these foundations are the things that a lot of Christians still talk about a lot. What is the place of repentance? And how does it relate to faith? And, and then we got washing, which we'll detail out this, uh, uh, in Scripture. It is the same word as baptism, but it's in the plural. And so some translations here will say baptisms. And so we, but faith, repentance, and baptism. How foundational is that? And how much, when there's disagreements on those things, how much of those things, uh, you know, take up our time? Because they are so basic. But then laying on of hands, resurrection, and judgment. And when it comes to resurrection, uh, I think about uh, the differences between those who believe in a rapture and those who don't. When it comes to judgment, those who uh, believe in some kind of second chance are those uh, who don't. Uh, so with all of these, when there's departure from these, they really are important because these are such foundational things. And as the psalmist said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So if we do get messed up on foundational things, well, we're going to have, I think, quite a bit, quite a bit of, of handicap. So our first foundation is repentance from dead works. Just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, not not around here, it's in another place, another state. Uh, there was a work that had two preachers. And the two preachers had a fundamental disagreement on a part of repentance. Ended up where one of them left the work and the one stayed because of this uh, difference in view of repentance. Uh, they were unable uh, to, to stay and work together. And so repentance is a major thing. This change of mind that we have. And repentance is a, is a, 
a change of mind that really results in change of action. It's, it's going in a new direction is one of the best summaries you can have of repentance. We were in dead works before it, we were in Christ. And now we're moving in a new way. We're moving in the way of Christ. And so uh, repentance, because of Jesus, is one of the first signs that we have some faith. You know, our next thing is faith toward God. Repentance and faith. It's, it's, uh, for a lot of people, when describing these, they're inseparable. Uh, we know that they mean different things. Uh, faith means, you know, knowledge, assent, and trust. It's our, it's our dependence upon God. But how do we? How can you see or tell that a person has some kind of dependence or conviction before God if it doesn't change their life? And so these first two things are intimately wrapped uh, together. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And what's one of the first things you're told in the word of Christ? Repent. What did Jesus teach everybody to do because the kingdom was coming? He said, repent. In the first gospel sermon, what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized. What did he say in the second gospel sermon? Repent and be converted. What, what did Paul preach to the pagans in, in uh, uh, Acts 17? Uh, he said, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that proves all men ought to do what? Repent. And so repent and faith. And with that, the third of the trifecta, the washings. Again, it's basically the plural word of baptism. It's baptizo instead of baptismos. It's a plural of baptism. Well, we end up having several baptisms in our New Testament. There was the baptism of John, which was to do what? Get the people ready for Christ. There was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised his disciples. And it's only mentioned a couple of times. It's mentioned there in Acts uh, 2, uh, and it's mentioned in Acts 10. It's the show of approval that Jew and Gentile alike can come to the gospel of Christ. Jesus talked about baptism of fire and baptism of suffering in uh, punishment for uh, those who are unbelievers and as uh, the difficulties of being his disciple. And, and those seem to be such figurative uses of baptism that I don't think anybody was uh, confused by them or they become foundational. There's a mention briefly of the baptism of Moses in 1 Corinthians 10, in which case the lesson was actually uh, using baptism to describe their passing through the Red Sea and under the cloud to talk about our baptism and how they'd had a, a baptism, as it were, and they still fell away. But uh, that's 1 Corinthians 10. But, you know, over in Ephesians 4, the most famous statement maybe about baptism, uh, other than either Acts 2.38 or Mark 16.16, 16, which Jesus said, repent and be baptized to be saved, is that there is one faith and there is one Lord and there is one baptism. And so there it's one baptism and here it's baptisms. I think basically it's baptisms here so that these folks who had lived through John's baptism, these folks who had heard and seen the effects, certainly of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, I think that it's baptisms here uh, to tell them uh, about the importance of our baptism. Also, I do think that in in the in Jewish religion, they, there was more uh, washing, sometimes even to the point of immersion, of both people and things than we sometimes think about uh, as uh, synagogue rites, and being able to distinguish those between between those things and the the baptism that's in Jesus' name. I do think ultimately the foundational thing uh, here is that baptism that's in the name of Christ, 
but because it is plural of baptism, we do have to talk about those other things. But then we have laying on of hands, and that's the one that we'd probably be most, um, uh, you know, stumped today. We'd have the most pause to try and explain. Uh, we know in the Old Testament, uh, hands were laid upon in the giving of a blessing, uh, the giving of a gift, entrusting of a person to do a thing. So in Acts uh, 8, we have people laying on of hands to bestow spiritual gifts. The apostles did that. In Acts 28, in other places, there's laying on of hands uh, to heal. Uh, there's also the laying on of hands that accompanied the installment of people into the office of elder or presbyter. Uh, Timothy was told, don't lay hands uh, too quickly on any man and thus share in his sin. And so laying on of hands was, uh, I, I think here, probably a reference uh, to these uh, spiritual gifts and spiritual offices. Uh, that, and that was a, uh, had a much, uh, especially uh, in the time of the, in the apostolic age, uh, much more prominent role than today. Uh, today, I think, uh, you know, study of the word and prayer uh, has largely replaced the things that the laying out of hands uh, to give a special bestowment on uh, either miraculous or non-miraculous as well. Uh, uh, prayer and re is prayer in the word of God has uh, has largely replaced those. And so there, there is still laying out of hands, uh, uh, some kind of recognition in, in to installment of, of office but not some of those other things. But in the early church, this was foundational, knowing how, you know, the, this person who's our leader, and there's instruction to obey their leaders over in chapter 13. How did this person get to be the leader? Uh, well, in, in a lot of these churches, somebody who, the apostles, uh, laid their hands on them, and, and it, was, it was a part of their authority. Well, then we have the resurrection of dead and judgment. And so we think about Paul preaching, uh, to um, uh, Felix, the governor, where he discussed righteousness, judgment, and self-control. And so there he, he, he has these things. Judgment, uh, the, the resurrection of the, of the dead, the bodily resurrection to judgment, the final disposition of, of all men in that, in that judgment, that be, be given a body suitable for the eternal destruction or given a body suitable uh, being like Christ, raised and glorified to be forever with God. And so here's the end of, of, of our exercise. Here's the end of our hope, our resurrection, and uh, being able to pass safely through the judgment. How would we, we be ready for that? Well, with the washing. Uh, what guided us along the way to that? Uh, those who had their uh, the, the hands laid upon them. How do we get on this path? Faith and repentance. And so these are the foundations, which the Hebrew writer said, you guys need to have that down. You guys don't, I sure wish you didn't need a re remedial course in any of that. But you do. You do need a remedial course in that. And if you don't pass the remedial course, if you don't do this work to get caught back up, is going to go really poorly for you. What's the next section? The next section is one of the sternest warnings in all of Scripture. And it details for us what happens if a person falls away. Well, what kind of person would fall away? 
the one who, when offered the remedial course of Christianity, the elementary course once again said, nah, I'm good. I know that. I don't need to worry about it. Yeah, go ahead and tell them they need it. Either I don't care anymore or, yeah, just whatever. And so we're going to get to the strictest thing, the harshest rebuke, I think, of the whole book. We're going to get to one of the scarier sections that I think of the entire New Testament. And it's for those who don't take this opportunity to get boned up on the basics again, to get back on the path of learning. And so he said, this will do if God permits. You know, some of y'all, you're basically over in the patience of God category. Is God going to let you have this other chance? I think he will. I hope he will. I'm going to offer it to you. But, uh, you know, uh, some of y'all should have no confidence at all except a confidence in the grace of God. And y'all are acting like you don't need that much because you're not paying any attention. And so uh, with some hope, we're going to move on if God permits. But let me tell you what waits if he shut that door and you won't take this last opportunity of learning, let me tell you what's going to come up. And that's the next section. And in some ways, it's sort of the, the low light. It's, 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 it's kind of the most depressing. It's, it's, the, it's the deepest valley of the book of Hebrews. But even, even after offering that, what does he say? Well, kind of spoil the ending, but what does he say? But we're con- convinced of better things concerning you, brethren. Right? But for those who have decided that they've gone down this path as far as they want to go, they don't want to take the remedial action. They don't want to receive the, the elementary instruction again and get back, up, get back up to speed. There's going to be a bad day coming, and that's our next lesson. Two lessons from now, uh, we're going to get to, to, to brighter things again. And we're going to, like the Hebrew writer, hopefully be convinced of better things concerning them. And for those of our time who uh, need such instruction, uh, who uh, certainly need some remedial things again, we'll hope for better things for them too. But we see the path that some of these folks are on in not following the word of God. So study. Don't slide into this uh, with, uh, with sluggishness because as we saw, it gets to the same place as rebellion. And so, if God permits, while there's time, he says to these folks, let's go over this again, and let's get back to following Jesus. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.